probably heard me hacking up a lung up here. <clears throat> I'm going to be sucking on a cough drop because I don't know where the voice is going today. So that's a no-no when you're on stage. So I'm just telling you, as long as I tell you, it's not a no-no. So it's a yes-yes. All right. Um, we're in our second uh, sermon in this series, Life's Too Short. Years ago, I read a story about Billy Graham. Oh, by the way, I have a runny nose too. So this is just going to be f- lots of fun today. Um, Billy Graham was in his office having his devotional time with the Lord. And the President of the United States called... Now, he talked to Billy Graham's secretary, and she said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but Billy Graham is unavailable. Billy told him, do not disturb me when I'm having my time with the Lord. The president was ticked, and he, he communicated that to the secretary. and said, have him call me as soon as he is available. And so uh, Billy Graham calls the president, and the president was not happy. He said, I am not used to having my phone calls unanswered. And Billy said, well, just forgive me, sir. I was spending my time with the Lord, and I knew that if I was going to be any use to you or to anyone else in this world, I had to spend time with God first to get his wisdom that I can share with you. The president backed off. Billy Graham understood two words. They're old-timey words that aren't used much anymore, but we need to understand them if we're going to have the type of, of impact in this world that God wants us to have and live the life that Jesus wants us to have. And they come from two different verses. The first verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. So this is important. Do not do anything else other than this. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. I want you to say the word abounding. Say abounding. That's our first word. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Abound is one of Paul's favorite words. And so let's define it. Abound means to overdo it, to go beyond what is expected. It isn't the idea of just doing enough to get by. It's abounding. Abounding in the work of the Lord means you do as much as possible, as well as possible for as long as possible. Why? Because you're doing your work for the Lord, and everything we do for the Lord lasts forever. So the Bible uh, tells us to overdo the work of the Lord. Many of you are able to overdo work outside these walls. We call that secular work. Sacred work is inside the walls. That's for God. Outside the walls, it's secular. Some of y'all know how to do secular work for the Lord, but this specifically says, go above and beyond, overdo it for God. Now, it doesn't say just do overdo it inside the walls. Look what it says about outside the walls in Colossians 3. Excuse me, I'll try. I'll try to mute, but I don't know if my thumb is quick enough sometimes. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. This is the idea of abounding. Whatever you do, inside or outside the walls, work at it with all your heart. Abound as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So here it says, abound inside the walls, abound outside the walls. So if you're washing dishes, you wash dishes, you abound, you overdo it for the Lord. If you're changing diapers, you overdo it for the Lord. Several weeks ago, Waylon was at our house, two-and-a-half-year-old Waylon. Janie and Rachel are in the kitchen. I'm in the living room. I'm reading. He's playing, and all of a sudden, he stops, and he goes, Papa, I poop. And I said, yay, glory to God. Now, I have to back up. When Caleb was that age, and he would come walking through, it's just me and Janie at the house. He'd come walking through. I'd go, I'd say, you poop. I'd say, go find Mama. I said, where's Mama? And he would run to Mama. This was awesome. My plan was going great until one day Janie heard me. She goes, did you just send him in here to change it? Maybe. So I can't use that anymore. So Waylon says, I poop, and, I, and I, he's nearest me. That's the rule. Whoever he's nearest to. So I pick him up, I take him back, and I, and I start to change his diaper. I open that thing up, and he overdid it. <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, oh, my goodness, gagging and 
And I went, holy cow. And he thought it was funny. I poop. And I'm like, yeah, you really poop. You, you did a great job, grandson. So the only thing I could do was to overdo his overdue. And so I took 64 wet wipes and I cleaned that little hiney up and only gagged about 14 times. And we rolled that thing up and put it in 16 different bags and took it outside. And, and so we overdid his overdue, right? Whatever you do, overdo it for the Lord. Clean that hiney for the Lord. Praise God, that was a clean hiney when I got finished. And none of it got on me. That's a bonus. <laughs> washing dishes, changing diapers, taking out the trash. You do it for the Lord. Why? Because God's watching, and he's promised that he will reward you. You see, work is not a curse. It's never been a curse. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve work to do before sin entered the world. And the, sin, the, sin, the work was to take care of the garden. Now, it got more difficult, and, and it says that we would, we would, men would uh, till the ground by the sweat of their brow, so it got much more difficult after the fall. The fall is there was perfection in the garden, and when man, Adam, chose to sin, we fell from perfection. And so God said, part of your curse is you're going to have to work hard and by the sweat of your brow. So thank you, Adam. Well, it also said that women will suffer in childbirth. And I, I don't remember if it's Caleb, but I'm pretty sure it was with Rachel and, and Hannah. There was at some point in labor, we're in the hospital, and Janie goes, thanks a lot, Eve, because of the pain in childbirth, right? So work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. I love to work. I, I would... I like to rest, but, but I can only rest so long that I have to have something to do. It's the way God created us. Solomon said it like this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. This is the idea of abounding. So Christ's workers ought to be the hardest working, most sincere, most honest workers on the face of the planet that any employer could ever find. And if you're not one of those, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. And don't any, invite anyone to New Life Community Church because you will be a stumbling block to the cause of Christ because you're not abounding. Have you ever been someplace where people don't abound in their work? Sometimes government offices. You look at them, you go, I don't think you've ever read Ecclesiastes 2.9. You're not abounding in your work. The Apostle Paul said it like this. <clears throat> he said, my, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. In the Old Testament, when they were offering a sacrifice to the Lord, they would take a cup of wine and they would pour it out to God. Now, to us, that seems like a waste. And you may know the story when David was surrounded by all of his enemies and he said, oh, what I wouldn't have, what I wouldn't give for a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem where he had grown up. So his three mighty men, the mightiest men in his army, broke through the enemy defenses, went to Bethlehem, got him water, brought it back. And when they handed it to David, when I was a kid, I remember this story. He took the water and he said I will not drink this because you sacrificed your life for this and he pours it out before the Lord and I thought if I was those guys I'd be upset but to understand what he was saying was you risk your lives for this water so I'm not going to take this water lightly enough that I'm going to drink it I'm going to offer it to the king of kings and he poured it out before them and those three men were honored by that Paul says when I abound in the work of the Lord and I pour out my life like a drink offering God is honored that's abounding in the work of the Lord he also used terms like fought the good fight, ran the race, kept the faith. All of those things are about doing something, abounding, going over and above, overdoing it for God. Now, I want to abound. Part of the reason I'm, I'm a pastor, I started out in youth ministry and I'm a pastor, is I want to abound in the work of the Lord, but that's not all I want to do. There's a second word, 
And it comes from the mouth of Jesus that we need to understand if we're going to uh, excel in the Christian life. And it's in John 14, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, abide in me. Say the word abide. abide. Say abound. abound. Say abide. These two old-fashioned words we need to understand. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? <coughs> Nothing. Oops, missed that one. So abide means to remain, to dwell, to linger with. It refers to an unhurried relationship. To remain, to dwell, to linger with, to be in an unhurried relationship. Ladies, you remember when you, he was first dating you? And, and he would remain with you. He would linger with you. The only thing he ever hurried to do was to get beside you and to spend time with you. You talk about this unhurried relationship and what happened to you? You fell in love. And then you said, I do. And what happened to his remaining and lingering and unhurried, right? Short answer, he started to abound in something else. Now, that's not, that's not a defense. I'm just telling you he abounded in something else. He needs to be reminded to abide. And I'm giving you permission, baby. We need to abide. So Janie said a couple of times, she said, we need to go on a date. And so when she says that means I need, I, I need your time. Because if mama's not happy, nobody's that, right? <clears throat> What Jesus is talking about when he says abide is lingering with him. Check this out. Lingering with him until your mind is formed more by the word of God than it is by the culture around us. So how long do I need to abide? As long as it takes for your mind to be formed by the scripture, the word of God, more than it is by the culture it's probably the greatest need of New Life Community Church, every church I've ever heard of, is Christians to abide with Christ before they try to abound in anything. When you abide, God gives you wisdom not of this world. He helps you avoid landmines and traps set by the enemy who wants to destroy you. When Janie and I were in Israel, there's several places where there are landmines. They don't let you go there for obvious reasons. What fool would want to go out and, and step on something that might kill you? If you want wisdom of God, I'm studying Proverbs, have been for the last month, and the wisdom of God does not come to, to someone who, who is casual about discovering God's will. Obtaining spiritual wisdom is not a once-a-week hobby. It is a daily discipline. It's like a miner who is searching for gold. Which miner do you think would be more successful? The lazy miner who says, oh, I'll look over there every, every now and then for some gold, or the diligent miner who gets off his rear every day and searches for gold? Which one's going to be more effective finding gold, the lazy miner or the diligent miner? The diligent miner. It is the same with God. You do not get the wisdom of God by being casual with God. You have to search for it. It says it in the Proverbs. Search for it as if it's gold because it's more valuable than gold. You've got to be the diligent searcher if you want, if you want God's will. <clears throat> the the commentator uh, that I'm using, his series, is Warren Wearsby. Here's what he says about the will, the will of God. He said, the will of God is not for the curious, it's for the serious. If you don't know the will of God, you're not serious about the will of God. There's a price to pay to get spiritual wisdom, but there's a greater price to pay if you don't get it. And that's the way of foolishness. God doesn't, God doesn't guide his children when they choose the way of darkness. He lets you go. 
He guides his people who are like the diligent miner who search for him in wisdom, who abide in his presence before they go. It is to abiders, those who remain in God's presence, that Jesus made this promise. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises rest to abiders if you're connected through him. Okay, Cindy, come up here. Um, Come on up here. Y'all two, come up here. That's three. Let's see. Um, uh, Y'all two, you're just close. Come on, come on. Quickly, don't. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, right here. Yep, Charlotte, Lisa. Come on, Neil. All right, yeah, just get straight in line, shoulder to shoulder. Cindy's going to hand out something to you. Back up just a little bit, if you would, Cindy. All of you back up. There you go, right there. Each of you take one. All right, slide down here so that everybody can get in the light. We don't want to be in darkness, not in, not in, the, not in the spiritual illustration. Come on, come on, slide down, slide down, slide down. Right there, you, you have one? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got seven. All right. <clears throat> okay, hold it up like this so that everybody can see it. In, not in front of your face, right there. Okay, now this represents an office building. You can't see this, but this is an office building. Does the, is the office building, I'm going to ask you about each of these, and then we'll, we'll figure out something for Cindy here in a second. The office building, is it temporary or is this office building eternal? It's temporary. So to represent temporary, red, like a stoplight, like be careful putting all of your hope in something that's temporary. All right, we're going to put this right here. Now this one, the church building, okay, the building, not the people in the church, the church building, is it temporary or eternal? Temporary. temporary. Y'all see a theme coming here? Do you see a theme coming here? Okay, exercise. I thought this was funny. That's why I chose it. You know, I don't, I don't know which guy does that, but anyway. Is exercise temporary or eternal? Y'all sure? Okay, yes. All right, good. School, education, temporary or eternal? Some of you are going, praise God, it's temporary. All right. Money, is it temporary or eternal? Somebody going to get it after you die, but it's temporary, right? All right, your home, your house, the physical place where you are, is it temporary or permanent? Temporary, Temporary. all right, good. Let's see, uh, yard work, let's just make, just hold this. Yard work, I don't know, mowing a lawn, we're just going to pretend. Temporary, permanent? Temporary, all right. You notice the theme, all these things are temporary. Now, the person who is doing those things, are they temporary or eternal. Cindy's yard work is temporary, but is Cindy eternal? Eternal. All right, good. <laughs> green means we need to pay attention, and green means go, right? Did it fall off? All right, you can just hold it there for a second. rest of you can't. Is, is the person who goes to work, is the person temporary or eternal? Eternal. I'll put it right there. The person who goes to church, is the person temporary or eternal? I'm going to put them on your glasses just for fun. (laughs) The person who does the exercise, is the person temporary or eternal? Eternal. She was worried about me putting them on her glasses. The person who gets the education, temporary or eternal? I love these glasses. I should have chosen everybody with glasses. The person who has the money or no money, it doesn't matter, temporary or eternal? Eternal, just for fun. Yeah, I have glasses. I just don't ever wear them here. The person who owns the home, temporary or eternal? 
Eternal. Bald head. I love bald heads. Bald is beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, yes. <clears throat> now, <coughs> here's the thing. The <coughs> the enemy of God wants you to focus on which one, the, the temporary or the eternal? The temporary. The enemy of God says, yard work is the most important. That person is not. The enemy of God says, work is more important than the person. So let's flip-flop them. How in the world can you know which is most important and stay focused on what is most important? It's this word abide. You abide with your heavenly Father. And he reminds you it is the individual who is most important. And we get this wrong all the time. And it's why marriage counseling is such a big deal in our country. Because we focus on the work or we focus on something other than the individual. Y'all, give him a hand. Give him a hand. I don't need those back. Keep it. Keep it. Had to have them back from the first service. If the enemy of God can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because as you're running around doing all of those temporary things, you'll miss the chance to be in relationship with eternal things. Those who abide gain the wisdom of God to recognize what's important and what's not. We need to find balance in between this, this abiding and this abounding. And so I got a question, a couple of questions to ask and make some statements about this. When it comes to abiding and abounding, there's a tension, right? Because I want to abound. I want to I do good work for God, but I also have to abide. So there's this tension. My question is, question number one, when will that tension between abiding and abounding stop? Anyone? When, when's that tension going to stop? When you die. Okay, heaven, you were the positive. I'm gonna, when you quit breathing, that's when it stops. We're going to be fighting this the rest of our lives because there's an enemy in this world who wants to defeat us. <coughs> Did you know that even Jesus had to wrestle with this idea of abiding and abounding? You see, when, when he comes and he is baptized, right after he's baptized publicly, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And you know what he does for 40 days? The Bible says he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He does not eat. He is abiding with his heavenly father, fasting and praying for 40 days, 40 nights. At the end of those 40 days, you know who shows up? The enemy of God, the devil, the accuser. And, and what do you think? Jesus is hungry, so he says, hey, since you're the son of God, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? That was not the way God wanted to do. Jesus passed the test, three different serious tests. He passed it because he'd have been, been abiding for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he starts his ministry. And, and Mark chapter 1 tells us that, that he starts healing people, he starts preaching, he starts casting out uh, demons, um, all kinds of stuff he's doing. And people in the, in the neighborhood hear about it in this little town. It says, the scripture actually says, everyone in all of the town were bringing their messed up relatives to Jesus. Sick, messed up, jacked up. Can you imagine if people in Palestine and Anderson County found out that Jesus was here and all you had to do was take your jacked up relative to him and Jesus would fix your jacked up relative, we would not have enough room on the 42 acres for everybody who would show up here. That's what's happening in this situation. So Jesus is abounding in the work of the Father, healing, casting out demons, teaching. And then when he finishes, what do you expect him to do? 
He abides. Look what it says in Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, after he'd been abounding in the work of the Father, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He's abiding. He has just had an exhausting time of ministry, and he knows he needs to reconnect with the Lord. And while he is reconnecting with the Lord, while he's abiding, Simon, he's not Peter yet, he, his name will be changed later, Simon and his companions, this is Mark 1.36, went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you, dude, how could you not carry your cell phone? How can we find your iPhone if you don't have your iPhone with you? Where's your digital leash? We can't get a hold of you, Jesus. Now, you might expect Jesus to go, dude, I'm abiding, back off. It's not what he does. That's what I would do, right? If I'm, if I'm up and I'm studying and you're calling, you're wearing me out, I'm abiding in the Lord, back off. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, okay, let's go to some more villages Let's teach, let's do all of the... He said, that's why I've come. He'd been abiding, now he was going to go abound in the work of the Lord again. And Jesus, his life showed us this. This rhythm, abiding, abounding, in that order, if you're burned out, it's because you're trying to abound in something without spending unhurried time with your heavenly Father. It's this order. I abide with Jesus that allows me to abound in the work of the Lord or any work that he gives me to do, that order. Way back in 1965, Time Magazine did a, uh, an article. And in it, they were talking about computers and how computers were going to simplify our lives. And they said, within 100 years, we'll work no more than 20 hours a week and we'll have all of this leisure time. We are 54 years into that prediction how many of you have a 20-hour work, work week that pays the bills? How many of you have just so much free time? You don't know what to do. They kind of missed it, right? <laughs> Whenever, we've actually gone the other way. We actually work more than we used to. And when you work more than 40 to 60 hours a week, who gets cheated in your life? Your spouse, your children, your church. Because you've got it out of order. And you need to abide. So when does attention end? When you die. Second question. Who's responsible for my calendar? Doug Washburn's calendar. Who's responsible for mine? Yeah. Who's responsible for yours? Don't you say Doug Washburn's responsible for your calendar. You are responsible. But see, we, we, we are really good blamers. We're really good excuse makers. I want to read you a story that I heard from a comedian named Ken Davis. This is a true story about his daughter. She wouldn't go to bed at night. Here's what he says. Go to bed, I tell my daughter. She's stalling. Daddy, does God talk to us? Yes, God talks to us, I said sagely. We'll discuss it in the morning. Being a fool, I imagined that would, that would satisfy her. No, we must discuss it now, she yelled back. God just spoke to me. Before I could frame an appropriate theological response, she added, he said I could get up. Tracy, go to bed, I commanded. I need a drink of water, she shouted back. The verbal, verbal sparring match had intensified. You can't have water. Why? You'll wet the bed. I've quit. How did they respond so quickly? Do they have a game plan? Do they pull random thoughts out of the thin air? Is this the root of original sin? But I wasn't whipped yet. 
You didn't quit wetting the bed, I countered. You wet the bed just last night. She was quick. The cat did that. She said it without hesitation, without blinking. Maybe she's going to be a lawyer. I ignored the opportunity to laugh, and instead I made my move to protect my authority. Don't tell me the cat did it, I bellowed. The spot on your bed was the size of a large pizza, and we only have a tiny kitten. It wasn't our cat, she said. She was a true professional. She was the best. Yes, she was going to be a lawyer, and she was shocked, shocked that I would not believe her. I held her by the shoulders, looked me in the eye, I said, and tell me the truth. Her bottom lip began to quiver, a huge tear welled up in her eye. I'm sorry, Daddy, she sobbed, but a big giant cat took off the screen of my window and jumped on my bed. He wet on the bed, then he jumped back out the window. <laughs> Sensing my skepticism, she continued, he put the screen back on after he left. That's why it's still there. I was speechless. He was a big cat, she appended during my gaping silence. I was coming to a slow boil. I can't believe you'd lie to me like this, I scolded. I wanted you to go straight to bed, and I don't want to hear another peep out of you. I learned that one from my father. Evidently, such things lose their power between generations. I could hear her in her bedroom making little tiny peeping sounds. <laughs> then after a few more moments of precious, lovely silence, a defiant little voice screeched from the bedroom, Daddy, I want water, and I want it now. The gauntlet had been thrown down. My parental authority was up for grabs. I had only one option. I called on the sacred and hallowed words of parents from across the reaches of time. I, if I hear one more word from you, I'll come in there and give you a spanking. When you come, could you bring a glass of water? <coughs> She's pretty good, huh? How do we come out of the womb? Just knowing how to make excuses, how to divert attention. How to... The sad thing, though, is some people who start out blaming and excusing do it their entire lives. Not my calendar. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. Don't live as if someone else is responsible for your abiding. Because, see, God's going to ask you, what did you do with your life? Did you abide? Did you abound? And if the giant cat answer won't work with a heavenly father, what makes you think it will work with your earthly father, with your heavenly father? Right? Your excuses aren't going to work. Here's another statement about abiding. I will never drift into abiding. It is my choice. I must make it regularly. Back in the 1950s, there was a couple of doctors. They were cardiologists, and they discovered, they're the ones that, that discovered the A-type personality. They were studying for a decade in 1959. They named it the, the A-type personality. And they're the guys who came up with the phrase hurry sickness. So they did this big study on what they called destructive hurry or what we're going to call dis, uh, hurry sickness. Now, I want you to kind of uh, score yourself on this. And as I read a statement, you're going to say S for that seldom you or O for that's often you. You kind of keep score if this is you or not. First one, I always feel like there's never enough time. Is that seldom true of you or is that often true of you? Second, I'm easily irritable. Impatient people, hurried people get mad quickly. Is that seldom true of you, often true of you? Physical tension in your body. So you have this, you're always uptight physically. There's no peace in your body. Seldom, often. Being preoccupied, you know, the inability to focus because there's so much going on in your head. Is that seldom true of you? Often true of you. 
Loss of joy and a sense of gratitude. You're overwhelmed by your to-do list. Is that seldom? Often. Find myself talking fast. I finish not only my own sentences, but the sentences of others. Kind of like a gift to them, so they don't have to do all the work of finishing the sentences themselves. When someone finishes your sentence, do you thank them for saving you all that trouble? No. Fatigue. Just worn out. Feeling that even though you are moving faster, you're missing out on life. Seldom, often. If you got more than a couple oftens, you're infected with hurry sickness. You need to slow down. When we were in Montana, when I was, uh, when Caleb was two and a half years old and, and Rachel was an infant, we went to this mission trip in Montana and it was the coolest thing ever when we got to the Montana state line because there was no speed limit. The sign said, whatever is reasonable and prudent. And so we were behind schedule, and I was in my mom and dad's brand-new minivan. I was driving. My mom was in the front seat. Janie and Caleb and Rachel were in the next, and then my dad is all the way in the back. And, man, we hit that line, and I was, pew, I was gone. It was reasonable. It was prudent. And then there was a dip in the road. And, and I'm not making this up. As I hit the dip in the road, it really was fun, you know. It was awesome. Except I looked in the mirror just in time to see my father's face hit the top of the van. And I thought, oh, I better slow down. So I slowed down, and Dad's mumbling. You know, he was 75 years old at the time, and he's mumbling. Well, after a while, I'm looking at the clock, you know, and I, we, what's reasonable and prudent is about 100 miles an hour in a brand-new minivan. <laughs> Took off again. There was another dip, and they don't put signs up to tell you that they're there. Hit the dip. Dad's face hit the roof. He was much louder this time. I could understand everything he said, and there was nothing nice. He wanted me to slow down, because here's the problem. When you are moving that fast, do you see the scenery outside? Do you notice details? No. Some of you are moving at 100 miles an hour, and you're missing out on life. There was an engineer at Purdue I read about, and uh, he was upset because it took so long for charcoal briquettes to get ready to grill his food. So he decided he needed, since he's an engineer, he said, I'm going to pump in pure oxygen to speed up the process. That worked so well, he decided to use liquid oxygen, which is the stuff that powers space rockets, the boosters. He said, it got the briquettes ready. It burned all the food and melted his grill in three seconds. And here's what he said. He said, it was pretty bright. You didn't want to look at it. Some of you, man, you're, you're, you think you're succeeding at life, but you're kind of like a comet that's really bright that's about to crash and cause all kinds of destruction because the pace of your life is unsustainable. Well, what can we do? How can we be better at this abiding and abounding? Let me show you some slides real quick. So there's four quadrants, one, two, three, and four. At the top up here is high productivity. At the bottom is low productivity. On the left side is positive energy. On the right side is negative energy. Let me tell you what goes in those four quadrants. You may want to write some of this down. Um, it can be helpful. Quadrant one is high productivity and positive energy. The words that are associated with that, you're positive, you're motivated, you're hopeful, you're creative. You are very effective. That's a good place to be. Quadrant two. Low productivity, but still positive energy. Um, and so 
Here, the words that describe you are calm, relaxed, peaceful, refreshed. Those are all good words, right? So the left side of this quadrant is really, really good. Now let me tell you about the right side. High uh, productivity, but negative energy. Negative energy. So the words said about you are negative, you're fearful, you're afraid, you're frustrated. Yes, you're producing, but you're not very nice and nobody wants to be around you. Fourth quadrant. It's low productivity, low or negative energy. You're exhausted, you're empty, you're hopeless, and you're depressed. Now here's the thing. Would you put that back up there? The, you live in one of the four quadrants. Which one do you want to work in? Do you want to be highly productive and have positive energy or you want to be highly productive and have negative energy? You want to be in quadrant one and your boss really wants you to be in pro, a quadrant one. All your coworkers want you to be in quadrant one. <coughs> but no one can spend all of their time in quadrant one. Even Jesus had to take time to take a break. And if you spend too much time in one and three, you'll end up in four, and three will actually put you in four quicker into a state of depression because nobody was designed to live over there. So if you're just thinking about it, quadrant one, is that abounding or abiding? High productivity, positive energy. That's abounding in the work of the Lord. Quadrant two, which is low productivity but still positive energy, is that abiding or abounding? It's the opposite. Yeah, it's abiding. It's spending time with the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Check this out. God, nope, leave it there. God never intended for you to live in three and four. If you're there, it means your focus is off and you need to recalibrate. Jesus spent all of his life in one and two. You know what he did? He would abide in the presence of his Father that would allow him to abound at the work of the Lord. And that's what he wants us to do as well. Look at Exodus 28. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Remember, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Which quadrant would remembering the Sabbath day and, and, and worshiping God, which would that be in? Two, it would be in abiding. Jesus spent all of his life in one. Even when Jesus got angry and he chased the, the money changers out of the temple, he was in quadrant one. He was abounding in the work of the Lord. He said, did you not know that my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you made it a robber's den? He was abounding in the work of the Lord. He did not sin. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was crying, he was sweating drops of blood, he was abiding in the presence of his Father so he could face the cross. He wants you and I to live in one and two. So how are we going to do that? Well, there are a few basic principles that have worked in every century of every culture that will help you abide and then abound. First one is solitude. Jesus did it. Remember, he went to a solitary place to pray. He had to get alone. Can't tell you how many times, you know, if there's bad weather. I get up at 5 o'clock every day because nobody's moving in my house. And I love just taking my time. So I have my notebook and I have my Bible and I have my cup of coffee. And, and I just spend some time with the Lord. And I cannot, cannot be effective in ministry or actually in anything if I don't have my time with the Lord. But sometimes when there's bad weather, I'll turn on the weather. And what I've noticed is... Even, even if I'm not looking, if I'm trying to read my Bible and, you know, it's still the noise going on in the background, I get distracted really, really easily. And what I'll notice is I'll watch the weather and then I'll turn it off. And as soon as I turn it off, my heartbeat slows down. And it's like God says, hey, there you are. You got you to be careful not to be distracted. 
Solitude gives you freedom. Remember the same people who said to Jesus on Palm Sunday, crown him. On Friday said, crucify him. See, Jesus would abide in the presence of the Father. It would allow him to unhook from anybody else's expectations and please only his heavenly Father. So he could abound in the work of the Lord whether someone said crown him or crucify him. It didn't matter because he was pleasing his heavenly Father. You have to have some solitude. You have to schedule this or it will not happen. Second thing, it's called the discipline of assembling. This actually is church attendance. I want, to look, I want you to sh- see what the Bible says about church attendance. Hebrews 10, 25a, it's just the first part of the verse. Not forsaking the assembling, gathering together with other believers, ourselves together, as is the manner, as is the habit of some. Some people are in a habit of not attending church. And I'm going to tell you, if you're, if you're in a habit of not attending church, you are not abiding in the presence of God, so you'll never abound in the work of God. The habit, according to Scripture, is assembled with others. See, the first century Christians had it much worse than we did. And they made it a habit. They devoted, it, it actually says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They knew there's no way they could abound without being fed regularly from the word of God. And not only that, there's a third thing. They were devoted to a small group of believers. Check this out. Here's the rest of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. You can worship in here in rows, but you cannot fellowship in rows. You need to be in a smaller group. I'm going to tell you, my, my fondest memories from this last year are small groups when my group meets back there and we're around the table or the men's Bible study over here. I can still tell you where everybody sat in, in the men's Bible study over this last year. And I, I got to know some of these men at a deeper level because we were sitting in there, we were fellowshipping together. And it doesn't happen in rows and it doesn't happen at 100 miles an hour. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the assembling, going to church, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer. You can worship here, but you can't fellowship here. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget this. Years ago, I was in another church, and, and we, were, we you know, did all of the Sunday school, visitation on Tuesday nights, Wednesday night, Sunday night. We had all of this stuff going on. Well, just as an experiment, we started small groups in homes. Had about 20 people come into my home on Tuesday nights. And these were the Sunday morning crowd. A lot of them were the Wednesday night and even some, some of them Sunday night crowd. And hi, Shay. Good to see you, sweet girl. And, and um, they came to my house every other Tuesday night for two hours. And sometimes we couldn't get them out the house. And so I asked them one time, I said, why are you coming? They said, we get here what we're not getting at church. And so when we got finished with all of this, I passed out these little um, evaluation forms, and I said, would you write down your impression of small groups? Never forget, never forget. Here's what one man said. He said, when he attended small group, when he started coming to small group, the church we were at stopped being the place he attended, and it became the family that he belonged to. Now, check this out. A few months, I don't even remember... We, we stopped doing small group because the majority of the church were like, we don't need small groups, we've got Sunday school. This man who said, this is my family and I belong to, quit going to church, and as far as I know, he does not go to church today. You need solitude with the Lord. You need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And if you don't like my teaching, there's a lot, there's over 100 churches in Palestine. Surely, you can be fed by one of those teachers. 
And then you have, to, you have to make time for a small group of believers outside these walls. That's how you abide, and then you abound. Let's pray together. Father, all we have to do is open up your word to find wisdom. But God, if we're honest, a lot of us, not only do we ignore your word, we don't like your word because we don't want to be under anyone else's authority. So God, teach us what it means that you're a father who loves us and, and your will is best. Work is not a curse. Your will is not a curse. Your will is nourishment, not punishment. Teach us that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.